Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, people. It is not so... It's not so ugly early in the morning for me today. It is 8.30 a.m., November the 9th, 2018, and this is Bitcoin and episode 31. That's right, 31. Um, On advice from a good buddy of mine, I'm going to change up the format of the show a little bit, uh, only insofar as moving moving things around. Uh, So we're going to try... Tries uh, uh, some different things today. We're going to talk about uh, you know the uh, upcoming Bcash hard fork, and we're going to talk about uh, in the morning roundup. We're going to talk about a few things that have come up over the last few days that are uh, not really concerning, but you know they're they they do have impact. They do have in, you know some level of interest. So might as well get get. You know, set for uh, you know the uh, all the upcoming stuff. So let's get into instead of doing the vitals this morning. Uh, first up, let's do the morning roundup. And so what I got here is a tweet from Pierre Rashad on Twitter at p i e r r e underscore r o c h a r d, and he's quoting a an article uh, from, a, you know, and I, I would have never thought in a million years that there would be a website called centralbanking.com, but there is. And I guess it's like the Forbes or Business Insider for those people who are central bankers. It seems like a pretty, pretty small group of people. But anyway, the, the quote is coming from uh, the... Uh, what's how do you pronounce his name? Augustin Carstens, who's the head of the Bank for International Settlements, which I have never even heard, I had never even heard of until this year. They've been, you know, I, you know, it's it's, it's really really kind of odd. I've kind of been in cryptocurrency since you know the bottom of the bear in 2015, and uh, not once. Ever hear? I heard a lot about the Fed. I heard a lot about the European Central Bank. I heard a lot about the Japanese Central Bank and and the all manner of central banks. And then all of a sudden, Augustine one day just pops his big head out and says he hates Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, all of us are introduced to this underlying infrastructure of the central banks called the Bank of International Settlements which is probably even more uh, nefarious of an organization than any other central bank. And anyway, so that kind of happened like last year. Uh, he, they've been out, you know, out into the open and for about a year now. And uh, Augustine says, and I quote, 
No cryptocurrency is a true unit of account or a payment instrument, and we have seen this year that they are a poor store of value. Buyers of cryptocurrencies are buying into nothing more than a software algorithm. Augustine Karstens. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're buying into a software algorithm that is run by hundreds of thousands of computers across the planet that are all agreeing on transactions that have come up in the past, transactions that are and transactions that are being made at the moment. So when he says you're buying into a software algorithm, that's not the whole story, people. The whole story is something entirely different um, because it is a network. You're buying into a software algorithm that's run on a network of computers that if you were to shut 75% of them down, the rest have a, a full copy of the history of all the transactions that have ever occurred in block, in, uh, in Bitcoin. And you would, I'm not going to say easily, but it would not be impossible in the, in the least to be able to spin up from the remaining nodes that weren't shut down a completely new network. And actually, it wouldn't even be a new network because if you have 25% of your old network, you still have the old network. So I don't, Augustine doesn't, he either was willfully ignorant or just doesn't care to take the time to uh, learn about that which he is decrying as crappy. Um, because, you know, and, and in my view, Augustine should be kind of, kind of decrying Bitcoin because it's going gonna, it's gonna to pull all the teeth out of him. He's not going to have any power. If this thing takes hold, and if the ball, like I said, if the ball drops the way we think the ball's going to drop, then Augustine Karstens is one of the one of the few people in power that are going to lose it all. I mean, I, I won't need to settle with Wells Fargo, who will not need to settle with a central bank, who will not need to settle with another central bank, which means that the Bank of International Settlements will not be included. So all these people are cut out of the picture. So all of them have all kinds and all manner of reason to take a big giant dump on Bitcoin and use their positions of power to make you believe that what they say is authoritative. And as we are seeing with how software and the Internet has just basically eaten the world, uh, the gatekeepers are dead and the gatekeepers that are actually still alive are only alive because they think they actually have some kind of power left. But this is no longer the case. The gatekeepers are dead and or dying, and it's just going to get worse. So take what the director of or the, the, the head of the Bank of International Settlements says with everything, but, you know, with everything like a grain of salt because it's just... They don't know it. He had just he just doesn't have a hope in hell to understand this. Or if he did, if he does understand it, then he should be scared. Uh, moving on up the stack, uh, Plasma uh, was an implementation by Ether or the Ethereum people uh, to upgrade the network, and it failed on testnet to get any kind of uh, ground uh, or any kind of people that actually wanted to take part of it. So they've postponed it. Um, and this, you know, they were supposed to, Ethereum is a proof of work system. It is the second largest blockchain behind, uh, Bitcoin. 
Bitcoin is also proof of work, which means that it's chewing up energy to actually prove that it did a certain amount of work to secure the network and then mint, uh, mint Bitcoin. Ethereum kind of is in, in the same boat. It uses mining to secure their network. Well, they've been wanting to move to something called proof of stake for a long time to solve the sca- their scaling problem. And every attempt seems to fail. So I, you know, for me, I got, I bailed out of, I bailed out of, uh, all my Ethereum and Ether. Oh God, what was it like a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, because I'm just, I'm just done watching this thing. Um, which is, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how they're, I don't know how they're going to roll forward because every single time they try to do something, uh, it either fails or, uh, from a technical standpoint or it fails because nobody wants to do it and in this case the miners are making money by securing their network and they want to move to this proof of stake which doesn't include miners the miners are why would you think the miners would say sure yeah we'll just we'll just stop mining your chain so here's what's going to happen is that even if they get all this crap out the door the Ethereum Foundation and all those guys and they finally agree and they finally get some traction and they finally move this thing to proof of stake the people that are mining Ethereum it's the thing is going to fork and you're going to have three Ethereum flavors you'll have the Ethereum proof of stake you'll have the Ethereum proof of work and then you'll have Ethereum Classic because Ethereum Classic was split out during the uh, what was called the DAO which one of these days I may, may go into but again, it's it's a shit show, and I just I just don't feel comfortable putting my money into a shit show. So moving on up the stack, uh, oh god, oh Professor Steve Hanky, oh pull out the Hanky. Okay, let's let's go look at. He says he says something very stupid. But before we get into the stupidity that fell, falls out of his mouth, who is Professor Steve Hanky? And he does have the blue verified check mark from Twitter. So that apparently means that he's important. Oh my, look at look at here, folks. He's an applied economist at Johns Hopkins. There's the authoritative crap again. Senior fellow and director at Trouble Currencies Project. Oh, Reagan White House alum. Uh oh, for, oh, he's affiliated with Forbes people. He's a foreign exchange and commodities trader. We should listen to everything he says, including the following. He posts a cartoon up with a guy holding up a tulip. Underneath him is the date 1636. And he said, the character says, tulips, what could go wrong? And then in the right-hand side of the panel, it shows a guy in a t-shirt holding up a laptop. 2017 is the date. Bitcoin, what could go wrong? Well, what could go wrong is the fact that Professor Steve Hankey, for all of his accolades and probably you know massive amounts of degrees of economics and finance hanging off the wall and his handshakes and glad handing with every member of Congress under the sun, um, has got this completely wrong. But why is Bitcoin not tulips? Nobody that first of all the tulips comparison to Bitcoin has happened so many times and be, been debunked so many times that all I could say, uh, you know, to this particular tweet, because I retweeted it, 
And what I say about it is throwing your hat into the ring by saying the same shit every single person who came before has said had been proven wrong. What could possibly go wrong? Because that's what's happened. I mean, if this guy thinks he's the first dude to make the comparison uh, between Bitcoin and tulips, he is sorely mistaken because that comparison has been made since 2008, probably 2009. I'll I'll give it to 2009 before somebody said, hey, this is tulips. Well, the difference is computers are not flowers. Computer algorithms are not flowers. Um, massive sets of mining computers that are set up in uh, cargo containers that are flown to remote uh, energy sources in the world so that they can set up for mining are not flowers. They are hardware. They are capital expenditure. And if I plant a miner in the ground, you know what does not happen? It doesn't grow a miner tree. Okay, this is there's the capital expenditure in the tulips bubble was nothing because you could just grow them, which was one of the arguments against the whole tulip thing. I can't grow more miners. I have to either build them myself, which isn't going to happen because I can't make the chips, or I go to something like, you know, Bitfury and buy miners from them. And no, I can't plant the suckers in the ground and get two or you know two or more out of it when they grow into a mining tree. The other thing is is that Bitcoin's been around for ten years. That whole tulip bubble was over and done with it within one year. The bubble portion of the tulip bubble was six months. Okay, six months does not make ten years. Okay. So the Lindy effect, which was not part of the tulip bubble and is part of Bitcoin, states the longer something is around, the more likely it is to remain being around. So please, whenever you hear some idiot talk about the tulip bubble, uh, just stop them. Just if they're reg- if it's regarding Bitcoin, just say stop. It's like just don't embarrass yourself any further, please. Uh, just like the next up in the stack, the man, the man of Maduro in Venezuela is trying to repatriate. Oh God, what is it? Fourteen tons of gold. Okay, so this guy or his country at one point or another decided it would be a real, real good idea <coughs> to put all their gold on uh, fourteen tons of gold on a boat. <coughs> And uh, or well, actually, it probably it probably didn't happen that way. Venezuela, th- through the years, has been acquiring gold, um, and but uh, they have either sent the gold that they've acquired and physically held to the Bank of England, and or every time they bought gold, uh, uh, they just had it sent either sent or bought it through the Bank of England. In either event, the Bank of England holds fourteen tons of gold that is owned by Venezuela. And the um, Times, this is the the times.uk or .co.uk, President Maduro of Venezuela is trying to repatriate at least 14 tons of gold held at the Bank of England, fearing that access could be frozen under U.S. sanctions against his regime. The bank has refused to release the gold bars worth about 420 million 
pound sterling, according to the sources. British officials are understood to have insisted that standard measures to prevent money laundering be taken, including clarification of the Venezuelans' Venezuelan government's intentions for the gold. Okay, bullshit. I don't like Maduro as much as anybody else doesn't like Maduro, but dude, no. No, 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 no. Now, it's his, it, it's Venezuela's fault for allowing that gold to be held by a third party or a second party, I guess, in, the, in this case. Um, if this goes back to the rule of if it's not your keys, they're not your Bitcoin. Okay? If you don't physically possess the gold bars that you own, then it's not your gold. It's somebody else's gold. And in this case, it's the Bank of England's gold. So, again, uh, this is not me raw-rawing for Venezuela or Maduro. I think he's destroyed his country. I think his country was destroyed by Chavez before him. I think it's a powder keg that's waiting to blow, and if it blows up, it may very well take all the third world countries in Central Central America and, and uh, South America with it, or yeah, South America with it, because I think people are getting tired of starving to death while they watch Maduro eat steak. So I'm no fan of Maduro, but this is why you buy Bitcoin, so that nobody can say, you know what, I kind of just don't like you, so piss off I'm gonna, I'm just going to keep your property uh, don't let this happen to you I mean even though none of us have 14 tons of gold um, we do we may have some Bitcoin or we may have some Litecoin or something like that and if you're keeping your money on an exchange and that exchange gets I don't know shut down by whatever government uh, that has jurisdiction over it because they're you know these things happen then it's they're just going to take your Bitcoin because you don't own the keys so don't send your shit. If it's a value, don't send your shit to somebody else to hold for you. And, you know, this is just, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right, moving up to the last point. <clears throat> Along with that, um, that whole Professor Steve Hankey tweet, uh, I caught a guy named uh, Evans Moronga. Uh, at real dad underscore me and he says reason being their price which is always high not affordable by majority and i got to translate that that a little bit um what, what he's saying is that the the perceived price of bitcoin is really high at 60 right now it's, i think it's like 6300 on bit uh, bit stamp probably um and he seems to be operating under a very old misconception that you have to buy one Bitcoin, one whole Bitcoin. No, you don't. Bitcoin is divisible to eight decimal places. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, which is exactly what what I tell him when I retweet his tweet, because I say, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. I can buy some Bitcoin for $5 right now via Cash App. Or I could do it through, like you know, any any other, not any other place, but various other places. If you're if you're still operating under the the assumption that you have to buy one full Bitcoin, this is incorrect, and I want to correct you right. When, but set this. The, let's correct the record. You don't have to buy pony up sixty three hundred dollars to get a hold of a Bitcoin. You can pony up a hundred bucks to get a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin. You can pony up a thousand dollars, and you know, or uh, let's say uh, 
$1,050 and get one-sixth of a Bitcoin. Now, you don't have to buy one whole Bitcoin, which is one of the one of the best ways to actually do this is to dollar cost average in. Find a place. Uh, God, I'm not even going to suggest. Okay, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, Coinbase. Okay, Coinbase was my first on ramp. I don't like the people at Coinbase anymore. I don't like the direction they've taken, but they're an easy on ramp. I would highly recommend using the Cash App because you can buy uh, Bitcoin directly off the Cash App. The thing that's different between Coinbase and Cash App is that Coinbase has a feature where you can just program uh, to buy Bitcoin like once a week, once a month, every day. You set it up to, to buy it. I, I think it's set up to be able to buy at a certain time, although I'm, I'm not sure about that. And then a certain amount. So I would like dollar cost average in like uh, 50 bucks a week, you know. And every every week, like on a Monday, fifty dollars would be drafted out of my bank account. It would buy Bitcoin, and Bitcoin would be in my Coinbase wallet. Of course, I sweep all of my stuff off of exchanges, like you know, and, and places like Coinbase into a cold uh, cold storage wallet after it's done. But I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry about actually buying. You know, do you know, going through the whole process of logging in and doing this and doing that. I can just have it be set to automatically buy. 50 bucks, 10 bucks, you can buy 500, 5,000, whatever it is you want. Uh, but dollar cost averaging in is actually, is actually very, uh, a very healthy way to get into this market without losing your ass every single time that you turn around and look. So that is the end of the stack. And that means it's the end of the morning roundup. Okay, just because I didn't start with vitals doesn't mean we aren't aren't going to do vitals. Um, let's start at the top with Bitcoin's average price being at six thousand three hundred ninety-seven. Bitfinex has got it listed at the top at six thousand four hundred and ten, and the bottom seems to be uh, GDAX at six thousand three hundred seventeen. Uh, normal activity uh, about quarter million Bitcoins sent last twenty-four hours. 11,000 uh, transact, or I'm not, I'm sorry, a quarter million transactions over the last 24 hours has occurred with an average transaction per hour of 11,000. 811 Bitcoin have been sent over the last 24 hours. That's $5.1 billion, people. $5.1 billion with a B yesterday. Right, so thirty-three thousand eight hundred BTC a bit is an average per hour send, and that's two hundred sixteen million dollars an hour. Uh, average transaction value is low, two point nine four BTC. Median transaction value is uh, a little, still a little high, zero point zero four BTC. But that's uh, about two hundred fifty bucks. Block time is high at 11 minutes, 37 seconds, with 118 blocks being produced over the last 24 hours with five hours per or five blocks per hour average. Reward per block, 12.5 Bitcoins plus uh, 0.18 Bitcoin in fee. The total reward over the last 24 hours is 1,500 Bitcoin have been minted and 21.76 BTC has been taken in fees. The hash rate has fallen five and a half percent to 43.7 exahashes per second uh github last commit for bitcoin was uh yesterday uh november the 8th 
Ethereum's last commit was for GitHub was yesterday the 8th and Bcash last commit was the 8th. Now, for those who don't know what I'm talking about when when I say GitHub. GitHub is a repository that programmers have been using for years and years and years. The GitHub um, or Git as sort of a utility language was written by Linus Torvalds, the guy who's behind Linux, um, as a way for uh, multiple programmers working on the same project to be able to collaborate and these are the repositories where all the code for these projects are kept and where they're worked on and where they're reviewed and where people come to a consensus that somebody's idea works, isn't buggy, and then is included into the code. When it's included, when somebody's idea and their code is included into the master code, that's called a commit. So the last time somebody actually had enough uh, wherewithal and programming skills to get something into the bit into the Bitcoin repository was yesterday. And so what this does is it gives us a metric as to how much development is being done on Bitcoin. And as we have seen, there is development on Bitcoin every single day. Now, that said, it just because something's been committed to the code doesn't mean that you're using it if you're using Bitcoin. What it means is it's been included into the the code that is in the GitHub repository that will become the next release candidate. So when they finally release that candidate and everybody upgrades their nodes and the miners upgrade their nodes and wallets, you know, upgrade their software, then you will be using all of the software that's been committed into this particular set of code over the last few months and there's not really I don't know if I, I I don't know if there's actually a set in stone schedule for every single time that a new release candidate comes up it's not all that often because there's a lot of work to upgrade the network but anyway so github last commit is just sort of a, a metric on the health of uh how much work is actually being done on any particular project. So that said, across the board, Ethereum is 210, Bcash is 566, Litecoin is 51, Ethereum Classic is 10, uh, 950, Bitcoin Gold is 29.4, and Dogecoin is losing a lot of ground, 0.0031. Poor Doge. We love the Doge. But it's still kicking It's still kicking Bcash's butt in transactions over the last 24 hours, which is sitting at 31,000 versus Bcash at 22,000. Transactions, for those who are just getting in here, is simply just like, if I send you Bitcoin or send you Doge, that's a transaction. So the number of transactions over the last 24 hours is sort of a metric of the how much the, the net, network is actually being used. Bitcoin transactions over the last 24 hours is a quarter million. You know, quarter millions the people have have sent Bitcoin back and forth over the last 24 hours. So that's that's it, and that's it for the uh, vital statistics. Bitcoin uh, 101 is going to be brought to you by Coindesk. We're still powering through that that article that still doesn't have an authorship line, so I can't give full credit. Only I can only give credit to Coindesk.com. 
This is what are Bitcoin mining pools? And this was last up. Oh, good God. You know, this is last updated in March 2014. So this is going to be this is going to be old, but it's still got some good, uh, uh, good general information. Um, so it begins. One of the first questions that anyone interested in mining cryptocurrencies faces is whether to mine solo or join a pool. There are a multitude of reasons both for and against mining pools. However, if the hash rate distribution across the Bitcoin network is anything to go by, and it is, then most miners are opting to join a pool. Here's what you need to know. Pros and cons. If you're deciding whether to join a mining pool or not, it can be helpful to think of it like a lottery syndicate. The pros and cons are exactly the same. Going solo means you won't have to share the reward, but your odds of getting a reward are significantly decreased. Although a pool has a much larger chance of solving a block and winning the reward, that reward will be split between all the pool members. Therefore, joining a pool creates a steady stream of income. Even if each payment is modest compared to the full block reward, it is important to note that so sorry it is important to note that it is important for a mining pool not to exceed over 51% of the hashing power of the network if a single entity ends up controlling more than 50% of a cryptocurrency network's computing power it could <coughs> theoretically wreak havoc on the whole network in early tw- 2014 many voiced concerns that the ghash.io bitcoin mining pool was approaching this threshold and miners were urged to leave the pool currency difficulty in Bitcoin's case, the current difficulty level is so high that it's practically impossible for solos to make a profit mining. Unless, of course, you happen to have a garage full of ASICs sitting on Arctic conditions. If you're a beginner, joining a mining pool is a great way to reap a small reward over a short period of time. Indeed, pools are a way to encourage small-scale miners to stay involved. What to mine? Of course, Bitcoin is not the only currency out there. Oh, God course we know that it's easy to find lists of mining pools for your chosen cryptocurrency one method of mining one method one method of mining that bitcoin facilitates is merged mining this is where blocks solved for bitcoin can be used for other cryptocurrencies that use the same proof of work algorithm for example namecoin and devcoin uh yeah okay uh, a useful analogy for merge mining is to think of it like entering the same set of numbers into several lotteries. First-time miners who lack particularly powerful hardware should look at altcoins over Bitcoin, especially currencies based on the script algorithm rather than SHA-256. This is because the difficulty of Bitcoin calculations is far too high for the processors found in regular PCs. If you're not sure which which currency to mine, there's a pool called Multipool, which will automatically switch your mining hardware between the most profitable altcoins. Multipool updates every 30 minutes, and over time, you'll see balance grow in multiple alt currencies. If required, the pool does allow you to fix your hardware on just one alt currency, too. Uh, side note, I don't know if multi-po- multi-pool still exists, because remember, this article is from 2014. Um, another, uh, uh, and this is still me talking, uh, if you want to experience this in a newer fashion, uh, go get Honeyminer. Honeyminer allows you to do a lot of these, uh, a lot of the same type of thing. Okay, on to, back to the article. Pool rewards. When deciding which mining pool to join, 
you need to weigh up how each pool shares out its payments and what fees, if any, it deducts. There are many schemes by which pools can divide payments, most of which concentrate on the amount of shares which a miner has submitted to the pool as proof of work. Shares are a tricky concept to grasp. Two things to keep in mind. Firstly, mining is a process of solving cryptographic puzzles. Secondly, mining has a difficulty level. When a miner solves a block, there is a corresponding difficulty level for the solution. Think of it as a measure of quality. If the difficulty rating of the miner solution is above the difficulty level of the entire currency, it is added to that currency's blockchain and the coins are rewarded. Additionally, a mining pool sets a difficulty level between one and the currency's difficulty. If a miner returns a block which scores a difficulty level between the pool's difficulty level and the currency's difficulty level, the block is recorded as a share. There is no use whatsoever for these share blocks, but they are recorded as proof of work to show that miners are trying to solve blocks. They they also indicate how much processing power they are contributing to the pool. The better the hardware, the more shares are generated. The most basic version of dividing payments this way is the pay-per-share model. Variations on this puts limits on the rate paid per share. For example, equalized shared maximum pay per share or shared maximum pay per share. Pools may or may not prioritize payments for how recently miners have submitted shares. For example, recent shared maximum pay per share. More examples can be found on the Bitcoin wiki. The other factor to consider is how much the pools will deduct from your mining payments. Typical values range from 1% to 10%. However, some pools do not deduct anything. Starting to mine with a pool. Having decided which currency to mine and which pool you'll work for, it's time to get started. You need to create an account on the pool's website, which is just like signing up for any other web service. Once you have an account, you'll need to create a worker. You can create multiple workers for each piece of mining hardware you'll use. The default settings on most pools are for workers to be assigned a number as their name and X as their password, but you can change these to whatever you like. So there it is, your Bitcoin 101 for the day, uh, mining pools. You know, and mining has just gotten, it's just gotten so crazy that... That, that it's almost, I wouldn't even, for me, just just for me, I wouldn't even consider wasting my time mining. Um, the way that, that I choose to uh, defend the network, so to speak, is to run a Bitcoin full node. Anybody can run a Bitcoin full node. I mean, it's it doesn't and it doesn't make any money. We get that. It's it helps secure the network. It helps secure the network um, by relaying transactions to other nodes, which verify those transactions, and it, it just it makes the whole system just so much stronger. So if you want to participate, um, if you've got like a you know a shit ton of money and you really want to throw it at mining, you know, go right ahead. It's your choice, but. You're competing against some huge dogs, some huge dogs. So keep that in mind if you even consider uh, doing that. And even, even in pools, um, it's getting it's getting out of hand. And again, if if you are interested, if you do have a couple of computers just laying around, um, go and check out Honey Miner. H uh, O N E Y M I N E R. Just type it into Google. You'll find Honey Miner, and it'll set you up 
uh, pretty easily. I, I tried it out a couple of times. Uh, seems fun, but um, it was I was experimenting with it on my work computer, and I didn't want the state of Texas to uh, get too antsy about me actually mining, so I just kind of shut it down after a couple of days just to see how it was working. Other than that, uh, that's going to be your Bitcoin 101, and let's get into something else. Okay, today I'm going to go ahead and skip Bitcoin history as well as Marty's bent because I want to get right into the daily train wrecked. Um, <laughs> just simply because it's uh, we need to, we need to talk a little bit more about this this upcoming BCH hard fork. But um, yeah, um, Roger Ver released a video a couple of days ago where he. Um, kind of read an email that he got from one of the other clowns and the whole BCH hard fork shit show. Um, and so I'm just going to let, I'm just going to let Roger speak for himself. And so Craig wrote to me saying, uh, if you want a war, I will do two years of no trade, nothing in the war. No coin can trade. If you want ABC, you want shit coins. Welcome to bankruptcy. It was nice knowing you. Bitcoin will die before ABC shits on it. I will see BCH trade at zero for a few years. Will you? Side with ABC, you hate Bitcoin. You are my enemy. You have effing no idea what that means. You will. I am Satoshi. Have a nice life. You will now discover me when pissed off. And no, you could have had proof. Your choice. F you, Craig. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so let's, for, for those who are uninitiated, um, into what BCH actually even is, much less why we talk about it. Um, we got to go back in time a little bit um, to 2016 through the end of 2017. Um, Bitcoin was, you know, going along just fine, and um, Roger Ver started getting uh, about 2016 actually he was doing it earlier than that but he got real vocal in 2016 about full blocks uh, uh, how to say this uh, uh, transactions having to wait an awful long time to be included into a block because the network was was being so used and you know and it was like just terrible terrible so their answer was to make the blocks bigger right now the were at the time the blocks were 1 megabyte so they could store 1 megabyte of information that information being transactions and then that block would be processed and mined okay so their scaling, his scaling solution was to get with a, a, a few people, um, and we're not going to get into the, the the huge history of all this because it would take a long time. But he wasn't the only person on what's called the big block side, and so their solution was just to make the blocks bigger so that they could hold 
hold more transactions. Uh, there's several reasons why uh, I don't think that that's a, a, a good solution, but I won't get into that. Uh, the his Rogers and, and that was again who you heard right there. That was Roger Ver speaking for himself as to what Craig wrote him. Um, uh, he became more and more animated, went on more and more uh, uh, talk shows, podcasts. Uh, and then it, the whole thing devolved into name calling of the the Bitcoin develop the the developers that handle uh, all the open source code for what we have as actual Bitcoin. Um, he started calling them names and saying that they were the Illuminati and they were working for or like there was like three or four of them that were working for a company called Blockstream and Blockstream had been invested by some kind of insurance company called AXA and they have ties to I don't know god the council of foreign relations or some some idiotic bullshit okay i mean i don't like cfr either i don't like any of that crap either but as far as their reach into into this i, I no it's just not it, anyway it, it ended up being such a circus and nobody could get anything done uh, or their their camp couldn't they just couldn't get their their ideas through uh, through and have it pat, have it accepted by everybody to the point that we would change the network to accept bigger blocks. So they split off and they called their clown show Bitcoin Cash, which I always refer to as B Cash because there's nothing Bitcoin about it other than the fact that they copy and pasted the original code of Bitcoin that they never developed themselves. They just took it from the Bitcoin repository, which is fine. I mean, it's not fine. It's it's allowed because it's open source software. Uh, but they've uh, tweaked a few parameters to make the blocks bigger. Nobody uses it. Nobody really cares about it. They make you. They try to make you think that Bcash or Bitcoin Cash is actually something, but it's not. Well, here we are, about a year later. That that fork of the Bitcoin network happened about a year ago. Here we are, a, like about a year and a month uh, past that fork, and all the original people that were sided with each other against actual Bitcoin have now split into two groups and are warring with each other. So now they have their own civil war. And Craig Wright is the guy that sent that email to uh, Roger Ver. So he represents Bitcoin's Bitcoin Satoshi's vision version of the upcoming split. And G, uh, Roger Ver is kind of representative of the Bitcoin ABC version of the implementation. Bitcoin ABC is right now is the Bcash version. Um, but or a uh, fake Toshi, otherwise known as Craig S. Wright, um, is not in agreement and wants to compl- wants to do some different things. So now the the warring party that split off from actual Bitcoin is finding themselves in the exact same boat that we all found ourselves in a year ago. Um, so you know what that to me it just means that the people were caused that were causing problems got their own fork and they can play nice they can play with each other you know until the inevitable occurred that big bad actors are always going to be bad actors it's like regulators going to regulate what they can regulate 
bad actors are going to act bad when they can, you know, act badly. And, and they're acting badly. They just happen to be all contained in their own little circus. And the rest of us that have already been through this crap when we watched it last year. And uh, so we can sit back and we can eat popcorn and we can watch the monkeys sling shit at each other. That's what we get to do. And for I, for one, am kind of in, enjoying it, except for the fact that I, I, I do wish I do wish Roger would man up, admit that he was wrong and then try, you know, at least make attempts to come back into the actual Bitcoin camp and leave the rest of these jokers to fight amongst themselves because Roger for, you know, years ago was a, he was a, a huge advocate for Bitcoin and he did a lot of work getting adoption. I mean, that, that cannot, that cannot be just erased from, from memory, but it's a train wreck. Uh, the, this, this whole thing is a train wreck. Um, we get to watch it, but there's, I think some people are going to get real hurt over this thing financially, emotionally, I think friendships because Craig and Roger used to be friends. And here you got this 40 year old asshole who's telling, um, telling Roger, you know, like say, I mean, reading that email is just so cringeworthy because I'm like, you're, you're a full blown adult, man. And you're the use of the, the, the language usage just, just screams. I am narcissist, not I am Satoshi. He's what he should have said is I am narcissism in, in either event. There's your daily train wreck. Uh, we hope everybody the best and hope people don't lose too much money or, or too many friends. That's about the best we can hope for on this thing. Yeah, let's finish up with with terrible joke corner, um, just because that that daily train wreck was a little, little, I mean, you know, little sad. That I'll just say that it's it's a little sad to watch this this thing go on. So, what's green and has wheels? Grass. I lied about the wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the use of deception and bad jokes. Oh, deception. Oh man, yeah, that's a not the best bad joke in the world because you know it's like lies to you right up front. But then again, you know we got lied to about the whole B cash fork, and we're seeing where that thing's going. So anyway, that's your terrible joke corner for the day. Running long, didn't mean to run this long, but there was a lot of stuff. Um, I'll go ahead and end it here, and um, I will uh, see you guys on the other side. I usually make the mistake on Fridays of saying I'll see you tomorrow, but I won't because I don't do things on I don't do this on Saturday and Sunday. So I will just see you guys on the other side. Um, and on the other side next week is the uh, upcoming B Cash Hard Fork. Uh, we. We'll just have to see what happens. And again, I reiterate um, the best, you know, if cross your fingers that people don't lose too much money or too many friends through this, because that's, you know, especially the friends part is really important. Um, We got bigger fish to fry like Augustine Carstens 
that's the real enemy. It's not Roger Ver, and that idiot uh, Craig Stewart or Craig Stewart Wright. It shouldn't even you shouldn't even be worried about stuff like that. It's uh, Jamie Dimon, Augustine Carstens, uh, large governments. Those these are the actual enemy. Everybody else just pissing in the wind. So we'll uh, see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.